Welcome to Stacks on Stacks, the interviews. Today's interview, Henry Yampolsky. Henry is the Assistant Director for Education, Outreach, and Conflict Resolution at Virginia Tech's Office for Equity and Accessibility. Now, Kira, I'm very excited to be bringing a, a guest into the studio after a long drought to begin this semester. Yeah. Um, and I'm excited that it's Henry, because in addition to being an assistant director for education, outreach, and conflict resolution, Henry is um, a mediator, an educator, a TEDx speaker, a yogi, and a lawyer. And that's a <laughs> yeah. lot of great things. That's a lot of things. That's <laughs> so, and I, but I wanted really to bring Henry in because we had talked to the ombuds last semester, yep. right? Brian Hansen for the graduate school and Reese Ramos for the university. And I knew Henry had a kind of similar role with regard to conflict resolution and uh, things like that. Um, and I wanted to get him in here and talk about um, just how his role is distinct, uh, mostly to uh, read some nuance into the university's address of community building and sustaining community. So thanks so much for coming in to talk with us, Henry. Sure. It's my pleasure. So um, as Kira was remarking off air just now, um, you have a very long title. <laughs> and so there's a lot in there about education, outreach, conflict resolution, and the offices of equity and accessibility. Could you uh, parse that out a little bit for us? Tell us uh, if in like uh, um, an elevator speech, what do you do here? So what I do here is um, I educate members of the Virginia Tech community on uh, various uh, uh, various rules relating to compliance and, and civil rights. I also uh, educate members of our community on how to communicate better and how deal to deal with conflict more effectively. And especially when such conflicts touch on any kind of protected identity issues. Now, uh, also what I do is I hold space for people who are in conflict, and that can take a variety of different ways. So sometimes um, folks could come into our office for conflict coaching, and this is maybe where they're going through a difficult situation, a situation that touches on a protected identity, and they're not really sure how to handle it, and maybe they want some guidance, maybe they, maybe they want some coaching, um, some hand-holding, or just sometimes someone to listen to them. Now, sometimes um, we work with two or more people uh, or teams, uh, work communities, where, you know, there is some kind of conflict, and mostly it's types of conflicts that touch on protected identity issues. And in those situations, we would facilitate a conversation, facilitate a mediation, um, and, and I want to uh, point out here that when I talk about mediation, this is not a situation where I would make any decision and say, you know, you're right or you're wrong. This is strictly about creating space for people to have uh, whatever conversation they want to have. And finally, uh, we also work uh, with some larger scale projects, organizational development. Um, so this is in situations where we work with communities, departments who maybe want to improve their climate, who maybe want to have in general, you know, a, a conversation um, about where they're going. Again, conversation that touches 
unprotected identity issues, this is where we can help uh, to have such a conversation. And that could involve everything from assisting with the design of um, climate survey, you know, when we're dealing with, with a larger community and then parsing it out and then working through it and then helping to have focus groups and other conversations about it, to if we're dealing maybe with a smaller team, doing something um, just where we meet one-on-one with, with individuals. And then... Uh, you know, bring the group together and facilitate a larger conversation. So uh, that's uh, the education and out- that's the education and conflict resolution piece of my job. And then the outreach um, is where really I can be a resource to members of the university community who are just not sure who, um, you know, want to talk about um, our office or want to uh, connect with us, want to explore maybe some ways we could work together. Now, uh, you started this conversation with mentioning ombuds and, you know, how am I different from, um, from an ombuds? So there are some key similarities, first of all. They're very, in, in many ways, what I do is very similar to what an ombuds does. But there are some, also some key differences. So one difference, one difference is that I am actually not a designated confidential resource by the university. And this is, this is one critical difference. So this is um, very relevant for Title IX purposes, for civil rights purposes, right? If someone comes to uh, either Reese or Brian or Ombuds people, they are designated confidential resources at the university. That means by our rules, by our procedures, they cannot divulge. They cannot divulge um, anything that uh, transpires, you know, in the conversations they have with folks. That's not the rule for me. You know, I, uh, a lot of the, I I deal with a lot of very sensitive, obviously very sensitive um, matter and materials and and information. Um, We keep it private, but also since I am part of the Office for Equity and Accessibility, which has an enforcement function, which has an enforcement function. There are situations where I may be obligated to, um, you know, talk to my colleagues in the enforcement division and let them know, hey, you know, we have a situation here that we need to take a look at. And this may be, so for example, you know, someone comes um, to me and shares a situation where, you know, it becomes very clear that let's say we have someone who is a serial harasser someone who's engaging in uh, really inappropriate behavior, it's impacting a lot of people. It would be my obligation uh, as part of our office to then discuss it with members of our team and uh, see you know, if this is something that we can do something about. So this is really the key difference. And by, in, in many institutions, you know, role similar to mine uh, would be called the civil rights ombuds. But by the uh, roles that govern uh, the ombuds profession, one cannot be called an ombuds if they also have, if they're serving as any part of compliance function. And so because I am part, there is a compliance aspect to my job. It's related to training um, and ensuring that folks are compliant with with their training requirements relating to uh, civil rights and policy 1025 in Title IX. And 
also, you know, there are situations in, in, in my role um, where I may have to discuss the situation, um, you know, certainly with members of our office's team, um, which kind of takes me outside of the ombuds role. Though in terms of, you know, work, work often very closely uh, with, with, with our ombuds, um, sometimes we collaborate on some projects together. Um, in terms of the services that we offer and how we approach, you know, the mechanics of our jobs, it's very similar. But yet there are those differences that I described. Right. So um, when you say compliance, I immediately think of things like Title IX. And you use Title IX a couple of times in there and um, sometimes to point to how it is relevant to your office and how it wouldn't be. For example, I take away from what you just said that um, when I do my Title IX training, um, I check a box that you verify, oh, Joe did his Title IX. Um, but if I had a Title IX, uh, if I wanted to um, lodge a complaint regarding a Title IX violation, I might work through the ombuds instead if I wanted to keep it confidential for some reason. Um, so that wouldn't necessarily come to you. But then though, is it, uh, is it um, part of how you and the ombuds offices work together that um, – if through their engagement with students or whomever making um, Title IX complaints or talking through something with the ombuds officer, if they become aware of a serial offender, they would escalate that to you for compliance? Is that sort of how the relationship exists? Well, not quite. So uh, they, you know, because they're designated confidential resources, uh, there are very few circumstances, very few circumstances where they could... Um, break that confidentiality. And I think they probably spoke um, to that. Um, so I don't want to um, speak about sort of their, the roles that apply to them. Now, very often, you know, if someone is not sure what to do about a case, um, what to do about a civil rights situation or Title IX situation, they um, may come to the ombuds, you know, explore their options, and then ombuds may refer them to us. Now, when they come to us, Depending on the situation, depending on the situation, a case may proceed in one of two directions. So one direction is someone may files a formal complaint. And if someone files a formal complaint, you know, depending under which policy it is filed, there are different procedures that apply. It goes through the investigative process. If it's a Title IX case, it goes through a hearing process, all of that. Now, let's say someone comes to us. And it's a situation that's, that is serious, that is concerning, but not quite rising to the level of a violation. And this is a situation where everyone is potentially open to engaging in some kind of, you know, discussion, dialogue, informal resolution. And so that may be another direction, another path that things proceed in our office. And that's the path that, I, that, I, that, I, that is my specialty that I work with. Um, and I guess I, I asked this question of the ombuds, I think, in a different way. But uh, um, is your how how often or um, is your work always triggered by conflict, or is there some aspect of your job that um, is preventative? Like, you do you do you intervene at a policy level to attempt to uh, minimize the potential for conflict, as well as addressing conflicts when they arise? 
So we definitely intervene, and, and a lot of my work, especially work that has to do with organizational development, is work that is preventative. Now, this is not necessarily something that we would be looking at it from a policy perspective. You know, I, I am not a policy expert. Um, we have numerous other departments and offices that work with drafting policy and interpreting policy. Um, my work, um, it's not necessarily that there is always conflict, but there is a concern. You know, there is a, very often my involvement begins with a concern. You know, we are concerned that we don't have a voice or we are concerned that, you know, something just, just I, 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 I'm feeling off in my relationship with my coworker or with my supervisor. I don't know, you know, I don't know if, if, it's, it's a, if it's exactly because of some kind of protected identity. Maybe there are some communication issues. Maybe it's a combination of factors. So it's not always that there is, you know, an active raging conflict. But, some t- but a lot, most of the time, people come to us because there is some kind of a concern. Um, they're concerned about something. They are, you know, maybe not um, seeing something through. Maybe they want to see something different, you know, in their community, in their department. Uh, maybe they want to uh, have an aspirational conversation, you know, of sort of what the community and the department may look like in the future. And they want to engage their colleagues. And sometimes they're just not sure how. Well, I, I first became aware of your existence, the existence of your role, and I think the same is true for a lot of people in the libraries. Um, when you were the person who received the results of our sort of like regularly um, deployed um, climate survey, <laughs> I, <was, laughs> I was like, "What were you?" Was Joe's con- looking the for word the word conflict was on the top of my <laughs> mind. That I, but yes, climate or conflict survey. No, <laughs> climate survey. Um, and uh, you were the person who received those results and then presented them back to us in our library forum. Um, uh, is that the kind of thing you do a lot of? I mean, that seems to me that that w- there wasn't the a presence of a conflict there. You were just sort of being uh, an impartial um, outside observer who's trained to um, recognize and handle conflict where it may arise. And uh, um, you were framing uh, the results of the climate survey for us. Yes, so that's very common, you know, that that folks would approach our office when with, you know, a concern like this. So maybe they had a climate survey and maybe they don't need a climate survey, you know, to tell them that something is, um, you know, not working quite the way they wish. And it's not always doesn't 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 always mean that things are bad. You know, that things are are terrible. It's just maybe that folks want to improve some things. You know, they have some concerns. And that's very often how people would come to us. You know, they would come to us and they would present their concerns, whether it's because there was a climate survey, whether it's because, you know, they're just not feeling right. Something doesn't feel off. Uh, and then may- maybe we design, you know, a climate survey and help, um, you know, help to navigate it and help to analyze it and, and, and offer some suggestions, recommendations for how climate uh, can be improved, how communications can be improved, how the way folks deal with conflict can be improved, all of that. Yeah. Well, um, and so even though the word conflict is at the heart of a lot of what we've been talking about, um, the way you describe it, um, it seems like what you do is uh, 
more hopeful than the word conflict may suggest because uh, you're looking for a way to improve relations between people. Do you find it satisfying in that way? And as also part of this question, what drew you to this work? Well, uh, this is, <laughs> there are so many things here. So first of all, I actually don't view conflict as something negative. Um, I, I don't view conflict as something that we need to run away from. Um, you know, we treat conflict in many ways as the fire, that this force outside of us, outside of us, we want to escape, we want to avoid, we want to control. But, you know, if you look at fire, um, there are so many wonderful things we owe to fire, like having a car, like having meals and, and all of that. So I am not at all for conflict-free environment. I am not uh, a proponent uh, even off uh, an environment too steeped in civility. Because sometimes an environment too steeped in civility and tolerance becomes an environment that is stale. It becomes an environment uh, where mediocrity strives. So I don't think conflict is a bad thing. Uh, in fact, if we look at any point of progress uh, throughout history, um, if we look at anything anything that was achieved that was worth achieving, it started with some kind of conflict. It started by someone challenging the status quo. So I don't think that's a bad thing. I think, and, and my, uh, in many ways, my goal in life is to empower people to learn to respond to conflict. Instead of reacting to conflict with, with fear, with avoidance, with aggression, I would like to give people tools to inspire them uh, and, and to, to enable them to respond to conflict, to respond to conflict with strength, to respond to conflict with clarity, and to respond to conflict with ease. So when someone comes to me and they say, we have conflict on our team, or, or you know things are not working out as well as we hope, I don't see this as a negative thing. I see this as an opportunity, opportunity to turn that conflict into potential for growth, into potential for dialogue, into potential for further connection. Now, to come back to uh, the last part of your question, what drew me to this work? You know, my, my background is in law, and for a number of years, I, I practiced law uh, in Philadelphia. And going, representing clients in court, trying cases, I found that this work, that work was bringing the worst in me. It was bringing the worst in my clients, and it was bringing the worst kind of in the system um, because um, we were spending our time making very, very positional arguments, sometimes very sophisticated arguments, but still they were very, very positional. And there was very little discovery beyond that. There was very little actual um, care uh, and concern for what's underneath that. You know, what are the needs underneath that? And practicing law, I just found it to be very draining. Uh, I, I, I did not think that I wanted to do that for the rest of my life. And then through a series of, um, you know, personally transformative events, uh, I ended up in India. You mentioned I am a yogi. I spent some time in the, in the yogic ashram, uh, I learned um, a lot of the ancient teachings. And, and, and through these ancient teachings, what became clear to me was that there is another way. 
There's another way to deal with conflict um, rather than just courts. And I'm not saying that courts are bad. You know, there's time and place for that. There is time and place to um, take the legal route. And, 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 and law and lawyers and judges do very, very important and relevant work. This is not to knock anyone. But this was just not what was appealing for me. And uh, in, in, in learning and living in India, I connected with some very, very profound teachings that um, I thought could enable us to see conflict differently and, and, and to approach conflict differently. And then uh, I realized that I was passionate about this work. And the only way that I could get good at it was if I make this my full-time work, my life's work. And so I left, um, I left a partnership at a, at a Philadelphia law firm. Uh, I've, I've done a lot of teaching and a lot of consulting work, ran my own company for a while. And then when you know, this opportunity came up here at Virginia Tech, um, it seemed like this role combined everything that I was ever passionate about. And that was, you know, civil rights. So there was, there's a civil rights component to my job. There is teaching and education component to my job. And then there is a conflict resolution component to my job where I can hold space for people in conflict and empower them to approach those conflict situations in, um, in a more meaningful uh, in a more empowering, in a more constructive way. And that's what I do what I do. Well, that's a great story. And I really like your, uh, your approach to conflict, the way you frame it. Uh, you know, it's so easy to see conflict as a, as a breaking down of a relationship or a negotiation, but you're saying it's a jumping off point. It's like where you really start to do the work. Yes, yes, and, and and I think sometimes you know when I when I work with organizations or communities here within the university, sometimes we actually need to get beyond civility and sometimes even beyond politeness. It's not it's not that that we want to um, you know become rude or or disrespectful, but it's that you know if I said to you that my wife and my wife and I are civil to each other, would you be happy for me? And if I said to you, we tolerate each other, would you be happy for me? So sometimes when I come into situations where everyone is very civil um, and, 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 and very polite, sometimes what I'm wondering is what is not being said, right? And, and who is not saying these things? And sometimes when we avoid conflict, another cost that we pay is oppression. Um, because it's very often the minority voices, the unpopular views, um, they may be so-called weird or strange views or people, right, that um, get the short end of the stick, that don't get hurt, that, that, that don't see their views expressed. So sometimes it's actually about empowering people to engage in conflict. And to see the power of conflict, the very transformative power of conflict, where they can do, they can engage in conflict, they can disagree with each other's ideas, but they don't have to disagree with a person. And this is a fundamental difference, right? Where we start seeing this distinction, A, within ourselves, between what is us and what is ours, and in other people. 
between what is them and, and their inherent humanity and the inherent beauty of them as just a human being, and then what is theirs, what they acquired, and that may be some bad habits or ideas or judgments, beliefs, prejudices, likes, dislikes, something they read in a book somewhere, all of those things. And when we're able to make that distinction where I can disagree with your idea, but still absolutely see and love you and connect with you uh, as a person, the very nature of our conflict interaction changes. The very nature of our communication changes. And that's what my hope is to bring to various conflict interactions um, here in our community. And this is especially relevant in interactions which begin with some kind, which invoke touch on some kind of protected identity, right? This is already a situation um, where someone's very core, it feels like, it's challenged. And so in that situation, creating space for meaningful dialogue where people can actually talk things through and see and experience each other beyond those identities, that's where things can get very, very interesting and powerfully transformative. Yeah, I like that. I, I'm right with you. I mean, I come to Southwest Virginia from New Jersey where I moved in a community of family and friends where we say what's on our mind and we hash it out. <laughs> I find that's not always the case here. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, in, in, my, in my previous life, one of the um, probably most violent mediations that I, that I was, was at um, was a mediation uh, with a divorcing couple. You know, uh, they were a divorcing couple and they never raised their voice. They always, they, they were polite to each other to a T, to a fault. You could, you know, you could write a book on manners just listening to their conversation. And yet the level of violence underneath that was, was incredible. You know, how, how cruel and, and, and cold and, and dehumanizing they were to each other. So sometimes even kind of the outward appearances of conflict, you know, if we can talk things out. And, and yes, sometimes the heat rises and, and that's okay. And that's okay. Again, as long as when the heat is rising, we're able to make that distinction between the person, the multidimensional complex being that each of us is, and whatever ideas, judgments, beliefs, prejudices, likes, dislikes, um, they may be holding and we may have a problem with. Yeah, yeah. And, and you're absolutely right that uh, avoidance of conflict serves the status quo and whatever injustice or oppression may be inherent there. Yes. So, and people don't always think of that. Well, uh, this has been really enlightening about your role, about conflict. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking with you, Henry. I, I want to uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to talk uh, to all of you, and I am always happy to work um, with the university libraries and to serve the university libraries in all ways that I can. In this episode of Stacks on Stacks, the interviews, our guest has been Henry Yampolsky. Henry is the Assistant Director for Education, Outreach, and Conflict Resolution in Virginia Tech's Office for Equity and Accessibility. Kira and I spoke with Henry on Wednesday, February 16th, 2022, in the Athenaeum Media Den on the first floor of Newman Library. If you would like to learn more about Henry 
or about the Office of Equity and Accessibility, we will place the appropriate links in the show description on our website, which you can navigate to using our convenient bit.ly, bit.ly forward slash V-T-U-L-S-O-S. That stands for Virginia Tech University Libraries Stacks on Stacks. Once there, you can find information about all of our pre-recorded guests and links to those episodes if you'd like to listen. You could also just find this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts by searching Stacks on Stacks, The Interviews. If you'd like more information about other podcasts produced by Virginia Tech Publishing and the University Libraries, you can visit publishing.vt.edu and select Podcasts from the drop-down menu. Maybe that's how you found this episode. Maybe you're listening live on 90.7 FM, WUVT, Blacksburg, radio for everyone. However you found us, and on behalf of myself, Joe Fort, and my co-host, Kira Dietz, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.